0: Country and church never should be in the same sentence. No, I'm kidding. So, Jeremy and I have this long, kind of long-standing disagreement on musical taste, and he knows I'm not particularly fond of country, so he keeps putting that up there. So, Thank you, Jeremy. I appreciate that. He loves you. I know he loves me. That's great. I love him back. Don't worry. I'll get him. Uh, I, what's my password? Anybody? Oh, I got it. Never mind. It came to me. Oh, look, right there. Good. Hey, um, for those of you that don't know me, I am Craig Carson. I'm the youth pastor here with my lovely wife, Leah, down there. So if you don't know that, um, and also I am not Pastor Bob. Okay. Um, pastor Bob and Pastor Gabe are on a much needed vacation in Florida. They're hanging out. Um, and so I, I just don't know if you realize how much work they do for this church. And you, you, the next time you see them, you just really need to say thank you. They do so much for this, for this body and this church. They really deserved this trip. Um, and so they're hopefully out relaxing and having a good time. Um, and so he asked me to come and preach. Uh, you actually are stuck with me for two weeks. Oh, man. Wow. Don't worry, I'm taking a picture of who's here. Because if you're not here next week, then... Um, we're writing you a letter. No, I'm kidding. We're not writing you a letter. <laughs> um, so um, I, I just, it, it's such a privilege to stand up here and deliver God's word. And I don't take that lightly ever, whether I'm talking to youth minister, the youth in the youth room or up here speaking to you all, because it certainly is a pleasure. It's a huge responsibility. Um, but I believe God gave me a really good message for this week about we're going to continue in our series in Mark. And oftentimes when Pastor Bob asked me to preach. I'll either venture off into my own message or something, but God really said, you need to stay in Mark, and, and really, because this section that we're going to talk about, in the next one in Mark chapter 4, uh, is, I think, interesting and, and rather familiar, but also, I think, there's some things in there that we're going to talk about. So here we go. Let's get into it, because there's a lot. There's a sower. There's a rebuke. There's an explanation, there's a lamp, there's a growing seed, and there's a mustard seed. We're going to try and hit all of that in the next six hours. So buckle up, here we go. You're laughing at me like you've never heard me, but don't worry, it's six hours, completely. All right, no, I'm kidding, it's not, right? So let's start. Here's what's really cool, right? If you have a hard Bible, you need to open it. I'm going to put some Bible verses on the screen, but there's a lot I'm going to read to you, okay? And and I want to do it that way. So if you have a hard Bible, grab it. Turn to Mark chapter 4. If you use your Bible on your phone, grab your Bible app and turn to Mark chapter 4. I said that just for you, Noah. There you go, okay? So grab your Bible. Turn to Mark 4. And we're going to start in verse 1. seems to be a good spot to start. And this one's behind me. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake. While all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. So I think this is an interesting section of scripture. We get the benefit of reading the whole chapter. Because we get to see the explanation of that parable. So we get to see. We get the benefit of having it before us. And so we can see what it meant. But here's what I want you to do today, this morning, is I want you to picture yourself as part of the crowd. There, then, without the knowledge of what that parable meant. So picture yourself, if you will, the crowd Probably a crazy little mob scene, right? It doesn't really say how many, but I'm imagining it's in the hundreds, if you will, or so, and they were all trying to get to Jesus. Doesn't sound terrible on the surface, but maybe the motive or maybe why they were coming to Jesus might be a little off, and I think this whole section of Scripture will talk about that. Picture yourself, if you will, you're in the crowd, You have a disease, or you have someone really close to you that is sick, injured, or had a disease for a really long time. What would you do if you heard some guy was running around healing everybody? I'm thinking if I place myself in that crowd, I'm going to be one of the mob. I'm going to try my hardest to get to Jesus. I think we get a little bit of picture of that out of Mar, uh, out of Matthew because it also references this that we'll talk about in a minute. The same occurrence is recorded by Matthew in Matthew chapter thirteen. So I think this the reason people are coming to Jesus is significant of why Jesus is speaking in parables. This is what, what that God just just opened uh, my eyes, if you will, about why he's speaking in parables. Raise your hand if you've ever asked this question, or if you ever made this statement. Why can't the Bible just be clear? Is it just me? I only saw three of you raise your hand. A couple of head nods. There you go. One in the back. Good. Okay, again, I'm a youth pastor. I need to know that you're awake. Okay? So, say something. Um, thank you, back there. Hallelujah! <laughs> I think it's also significant that Jesus was out in public. Because oftentimes we see that Jesus was in the synagogue preaching. And to me, that speaks a lot to me about this message was for everybody. Poor, rich, anyone that was around. Remember, he was speaking to a mob. And so this message was for everybody, not just the people that could get to the synagogue. That's significant to me. So everyone can get the benefit of this. Here's a little side note, okay? I thought about this idea for maybe about 10 seconds, and then I quickly dismissed it. Because if you look at the account in Matthew, it said a little bit here in Mark that Jesus sat in the boat. Everybody else was standing. Somewhere along the line, church got it wrong, where the pastor stands and everybody else is sitting. I thought about this for 10 seconds. I'm going to pull all the chairs out. Other than one, I'm going to sit. You're going to stand. Then I figured Pastor Bob would text me right away and say, that's a bad idea, so that didn't happen, and I quickly dismissed that. Today's message is not rocket science. I don't believe. We're going to talk about this, and I'm wondering if you've heard this message or heard this section of Scripture or how many times you've heard it, right? But I'm really hopeful, and my prayer is that God gives you something that you can take home. That's always my prayer whenever I speak to you, to youth, or anyone where I'm speaking the word of God. I want, my prayer is that God speaks to you where you're at. Who believes that you can read the same section of scripture a thousand times and get something new out of it the thousand and one time? That is a word, thousand and oneth. I'm pretty sure that'll fly in crossword. So let's pick up the teaching. So remember, the crowd was following him. They kind of pushed Jesus into a. They didn't really push him, but they kind of forced him to go into a boat, right? Which just—it's just fascinating to me the things that we miss, right? Maybe it's just the way my crazy little brain works, right? The acoustics. How can Jesus speak to a mob of people in a offshore a little bit and everyone hear him? God is amazing, right? Sermon on the Mount's a good example of that also. But that's just me and how it works. So Jesus starts teaching, and this I'm going to read to you, starting in verse 3. And it starts with, listen. Listen. And if you don't have your hard Bible in front of you, then you're missing it a little bit because I use the NIV. And the only reason I use the NIV is because I've had it for a long time. And I'm comfortable with it. It's like my security blanket right now, right? And I'm not ready to transfer everything I've written in this little crazy Bible into anything new. That's really the one, yeah, right? That's one reason why I'm really still reading this. My eyes are getting a little old. The print's getting a little small. So when at night I'm reading, my wife laughs at me. I have a little flashlight headlamp (laughs) laying in my bed that shines on whatever I'm reading, okay? Okay? But that's, so this is all that I'm reading is out of the NIV. You just need to know that I don't have any issues against most other versions of the Bible. But that you just need to know this is my NIV. And when you read the NIV, it says "listen!" exclamation point. So there had to be some emphasis on listen. So it's more like listen. And it must be pretty significant. So he goes on, "...a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell along rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root." Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, and even 100 times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Raise your hand if you've heard that or read that scripture before. Keep your hand up if you heard or read that over 10 times before. A lot of us, a lot of this this section of Scripture is pretty familiar. But again, picture yourself there, then. See, we get the benefit of knowing what this means because we read it later on in Mark. But if you're a person listening to Jesus at the time, you don't know. So I'm wondering what they're thinking. He starts with a listen and then ends with a listen. It's a listen sandwich, if you will. So it must be pretty important that there's something in there that's significant that should draw your attention to. But if you're there... And you're listening to Jesus, and if you came to Jesus with your motive of, I want to get me healed or my significant healed, whatever. If that's what you're going for, you're listening to Jesus and you're like, what was that? I'm wondering if your mindset, if you will, if you're there, listen, put yourself there. Put yourself not on the last part of Mark, which explains the definition or the explanation. Put yourself on the front end. You're sitting there. You're listening to Jesus. You want to come to Jesus. You want some good stuff out of Jesus. But he doesn't give it to you. Jesus is speaking in parables. Interesting. See, the definition I found for parables is a proverb, a riddle, a comparison. So I'm wondering why Jesus speaks in parables. Did you ever ask yourself the question, why? Why can't the Bible just be so clear? I think it gives us the answer as we go on in this. But the people of the day, they're sitting there and they're coming to Jesus and they want something and they probably understood and they can relate to the idea of a farmer sowing seeds because that was essential then. It's essential now, but we don't really get it. We just go to the grocery store and buy some food off the shelf if you can find it anymore, but that's another story for another time, okay? But it's not, it's essential today, but back then it was really essential, and what I learned was that fields back then aren't like fields today. Fields of then were more like strips of land. And in between each strips of land, there was a path, a walking path that was hard, compacted, pressed down, if you will, so that they could get in between the fields. Obviously, their tools for cultivating the the soil wasn't like what we have today. It was pretty rudimentary, so it took a lot of work. But the people of the day could relate to a farmer sowing seeds. But remember, they're sitting on the shore, they're listening to Jesus, and they're asking themselves, what is this? I don't understand. I don't understand. By my place and my notes. My thumb as I'm talking keeps moving around. And it really is kind of crazy. They would relate to this. See, so I'm wondering what they're thinking. I'm wondering if their brain is processing thoughts like, wow, I came all this way for that. I don't get it. I know how to farm, I know how to sow seeds. I understand that if they are on the path, they're not going to grow. I get all that. I don't get it. He didn't heal anybody. This was a complete waste of time. He didn't even use any scripture. And he made a stand the whole time. This is dumb. I'm going home. Hmm. Hmm. I'm just wondering, can that mindset exist today? I don't know. Maybe. That's maybe another thought for another time. Interesting. See, the disciples didn't even get it. Because if you go right on and we keep reading after this, he goes and says, In Mark 4, verses 10 through 13, when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? Let's just start there. God, I think that's really important. Where he calls out the disciples almost in rebellion, almost in like rebuking, if you will, is is how can you not understand this? And then he goes on and he says, don't you understand this parable? How then can you understand any parable? I'm just going to sit here and make the case, right? This is me, and I can argue with you afterwards if you want to, but I'm going to make this case. Maybe this is the foundational parable to understand every other parable because of what he says. Don't you understand this one? And I'm hoping to either stir your spirit or convince you that that is true because of what the parable means. And then it goes on and it says, or back up, if we back up, it says the secret of the kingdom of God. Really a great message. And he says the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. The secret of the kingdom of God is not like some magical mystery hidden secret that's not available to us. But the secret of the, of the kingdom of God, I believe, is more of a revelation to us than anything. Because if you look at John six. 65, and it says, No one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. See, I believe this, and I'm here to state a case for it as we read on that parables are like doorways. Maybe all the scripture. But in spe- specifically, parables are like doorways where Jesus states a parable and he gives us the opportunity to enter into the doorway and ask questions and ask for revelation and ask for, for what does it mean? Because notice, Jesus then, we'll see it in a little bit, Jesus then explains the parables to the disciples when they were alone together. He didn't do this to the crowd. The crowd was probably off. They went home because they were disappointed because they didn't get what they needed. So I don't think Jesus used parables to blind people. I think Jesus uses parables because people are blind. Why do I know that? Because if you look at the section of Scripture that we just said, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. For you will be ever seen, but never perceiving. That is a quote from Isaiah chapter 6. Fascinating little section of Scripture. If I can encourage you in in anything, I want you to dive into Scripture. Because if you look at Isaiah chapter 6, it's the commissioning of Isaiah, right? And a lot of us know this, the famous phrase, here am I, Lord, send me, right? And then right after that, the first command that the Lord gives Isaiah is, he says, Isaiah, you need to go and tell the people you will be ever seeing but never perceiving. What kind of command is that? That's crazy, but because God knew the people's hearts were blind, that it wouldn't even help them to get the real message. So that's why I think a parable or scripture in itself is just a doorway for us to go in and enter into and ask questions and ask God, what does it mean? It actually says in the account in Matthew that this is said to fulfill what was spoken to Isaiah in chapter 6 of Isaiah. Huh. Because that references to those on the outside. Those are the blind people. Those are the people that can't see. You could state it just very specifically and they still wouldn't get it. That's why I believe Jesus used parables. See, this really speaks to me. Because I can't tell you how many times I've read Scripture, right? I'm hoping I'm not the only one, but I've read certain sections of Scripture, and you're like, I have no idea what that says. I know what it says. I have no idea what it means. Anybody? Am I the only one? Right? You guys are all way more spiritual than me. So that really speaks to me. It speaks to me that God wants us to come to him. And I'm going to hopefully show you more about that later. So then it goes on. He goes on to explain the parable to the few. Remember, we leave the crowd, right? Okay, the crowd then, who knows what happened to the crowd. But then Jesus is alone with his disciples and the few others that are with him, right? Really important to me, and that speaks that we need to come to Jesus. And I'm going to point that out also to you later. That he says this in verse 14. This is key to believing what's going on in Mark chapter 4. If you miss verse 14, I think we miss the context of, of everything in Mark chapter 4. And verse 14 says this, the farmer sows the word. The word. So whenever you see seed, you can equate it to word. The word of God. That's Really important in our conversation for the next however long we're here together. See, I think this parable is misnamed. This is just me speaking, right? Someday I'm going to create my own Bible. It's going to be the CCV version, the Craig Carson version, right? And then right after that, I'll probably get struck by lightning, but that's another story, okay? Um, But I think this parable is misnamed. I think this parable should be called the parable of the soils. Not the parable of the sower. Because if you notice through the story of the whole thing, right? The seed is the seed. The seed doesn't change. But the impact of the seed is based on the condition of the soil. Wow, someone hear this. The impact of the word of God is based on the condition of your heart. So I think man's reception to God's word is more really about the condition of our heart. And so then Jesus goes on and explains some of the conditions of the soil, but really you can think about it as some of the conditions of the heart. Look at verse 15. I think it's behind me. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Man, that's rough. But if you remember the context, the context was, remember, the fields were in strips. The paths were right in the middle. Those paths have been packed down by people walking in between for a really long time. And so when the seed, I mean, they're not purposely throwing the seeds on hard impacted soil. That would be crazy. If you're a farmer for doing that, you're not going to be in business for very long. Right? So they're throwing seeds into the field because everything's pretty much manual and some of those seeds fall on the path. And then the devil comes and picks it up right away. I preach all the time to the young people in this church and I'm hoping to you all today, there is an enemy of your soul. His character is to steal, kill, and destroy. If you don't believe me, John 10.10 would be the reference for that. See, I believe Jesus or the devil does not want us to listen, process, understand, perceive, go to God with anything in the Bible. Because the devil knows the benefit of the Bible in our lives. I'm going to prove that to you in a little bit. So these walking paths were really hard and compacted. And I believe there's a lot of Christians running around today with a heart that's hard. And that could, be ha- that could happen from a lot of ways. That could happen being hurt by the church, being hurt by a pastor, being hurt by who knows what. But people can walk around with hard hearts where they don't let the word of God sink in. One of my first jobs when I was in high school is I was a landscaper. Our manual labor, right? I'm going to encourage any parent to send your kids out being a landscape job. It's a great job, okay? And so we would go to houses, and we would have to tear up the ground to, for new sod to be put in. So we had this massive gas-powered rototiller, right? The kind that, that the blades are on the back, and you have two big handles, right? Sometimes it takes two people to manage the thing, and it digs up the dirt on the back side. We went to some houses where the rototiller bounced off the ground. That's how hard the ground was. I'm wondering, are there spots in my heart where the word of God just bounces off of? Where I don't get it. And I'm not really wanting to get it. But I can tell you that in that job, that if you kept at it long enough... The rototiller would get to the soft ground. And I'm wondering today, again, one of the things I want to get to you is God wants us to cultivate our own heart, make it ready for the seed to grow. But let's move on. The next soil, the rocky places, other like seed sown on rocky places. This is verse 16. Hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they fall away. Many Christians have no roots. That's obvious. Even in my own life sometimes, I can tell you that when trouble comes my way, I immediately cave and fall apart. So again, it's just an inventory of what we need to take and do. When something hard comes our way, maybe it's an opportunity for our roots to grow even deeper. Rather than to look at the opportunity and just cave and fall to whatever whim comes our way and say why me maybe their faith is in their parents or maybe their faith is in their church or their pastor or the worship leader and when the worship leader changes then all of a sudden oh i can't that's wrong see to me that's just a that's just that's just rocky soil where you just go, just, just a little bit. So in my study, I found this quote. It's, 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 it's funny. It's funny to me. It's just how I, my brain works, right? But I think it's really sad. And I'm wondering if this is true with a lot of churches, people, Christians, whatever. This is, here's a quote. I'm going to read it for you. Then there are many more whose religion must be sustained by enthusiastic surroundings. They seem to have been baptized by boiling water. And unless the temperature around them is kept up to the point they wither away, that the religion that is born of mere excitement will die when the excitement is over. Those are people, and I preach this to young people all the time, that live from like spiritual high to spiritual high. And they always have to have a spiritual high. We preach this a lot to young people when we go to retreats, right? Because retreats are great where you can have that spiritual high and that's what they are designed to do. But guess what? You're going back to school on Monday. (laughs) And you have to figure out life. And you got to believe what you believed on Saturday night when you were raising your hands and you're believing God that God can take care of you and God is faithful. You have to believe that same thing on Monday. But if you don't have the roots, then the minute your friend comes to you and says something bad, and then all of a sudden you're You're lost. So I think opportunities like that are just another way for us to dig a little bit deeper. We need to take out the rocks of our soil. What about the next one? Okay, verses 18 and 19. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and desires for things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Deceitfulness of wealth. Doesn't say wealth is bad, that just says the deceit of wealth. Right? Because wealth, the deceit of wealth is really this wealth can buy you happiness. Right? That's what we hear it all the time, and we all know that in our brains that it can't think if we were to ask anybody, it can't. But there's a lot of people that try to do that. It's a deceit, right? It's more than just money. If we're looking for anything that provides contentment, happiness, real pleasure, anything other than Jesus, it's temporary. And as soon as that whatever thing falls away, then our faith gets choked out. Then it goes on also and says the desire for things. Ready? This one really spoke to me as I was studying this. Listen to this. Answer the question for you. I'm not trying to... to, This is really for me. Maybe it's just for me. Is there room for Jesus in your inn? Come on, that was good. Right? Is there room for Jesus in your inn? That means that... What's choking Jesus out of your life? What's choking the word out of your life? When I was young, youth pastor at another church before we came here, Lee and I for a long time had a really small conservative Baptist church. We, uh, We had a really small youth group, and one of the kids in the youth group worked on a farm out on the eastern slope. And he came to me one day, and he says, Craig, I have a really fun activity for us. How would you like to come with me? We're going to go look for thistle in wheat fields. I'm like, dude, you know how to party. (laughs) I'm in. (laughs) So I go driving with them. Four hours, we're driving around this humongous property out on the eastern plains of Colorado, and we're looking for thistle in wheat fields, right? Right? So thistle is a type of weed that if you leave there, it basically chokes everything out. So we've been doing this for a long time, and we're getting towards the end. We go to this last field, this one field, the size of a football field, huge wheat field. And he looks at me, and he goes, do you see it? I go, what are you talking about? They all look the same. It's wheat. He goes, it's there. It's right in the middle. One thistle plant. And he goes, we got to go get it. I go, you're nuts. Why can't we leave it? And Then he tells me, because his dad's sitting in the front seat, he's driving us around. And he goes, I leave that one plant, that one poisonous plant, kills the whole field if you leave it. I'm wondering if all of us need to really take inventory of the thorns in our own heart. Those thorns can be obvious, right? Some of them are really obvious. The sin in your life, the sin that you keep doing every, every other day, and then you, on the off day, you, you're sorry, you feel guilty, and you say you'll never do it again, and then you do it again, and then you, it's the cycle, right? Those are the obvious thorns. But what about the not obvious thorns? Simple. I'm a card-carrying, professional, social media scroller. I have the strongest thumb this side of the Mississippi. <laughs> right? You know it. But I'm wondering if that's a thorn. Social media can be good or bad. We can argue about the, the, all of that. And if you're a young person, social media is always bad. So that, whatever. Okay. So, um, uh, but what about the time I can spend just scrolling? And before you know it, I can spend an hour just scrolling social media. Is that a thorn? God spoke to me and said, yes, that can be. And it is. So there's a lot of those thorns. I think God wants us to take inventory of the field in our life, our field, our own field. Is your field full of rocks? Does it have thorns in it? Are there parts of your field that are just compressed so tightly that it's going to take a massive rototiller to get it out or get it soft? but then let's look at the last one because I think it's really important, okay? The good soil. Verse 20, others like seed sown on good soil hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, 30, 60, and even 100 times what was sown. In other versions, it says it brings forth and bear fruit. Man, that is it. That is the purpose of the word of God. If you, if you, uh, if we, I get so excited, I can't even stand myself, I can't even talk, my brain gets going a lot faster than my mouth goes, but if you could leave today, I want you to leave today with an encouragement that being in the Word of God produces fruit, yes. Yes. and maybe that fruit is the fruit. I love how the Bible works, right? Because maybe the fruit is what the Galatians chapter 5 is talking about when it talks about the fruits of the Spirit. Come on, that should have got an amen or an owl. Thank you. See, this is why I think right next to this, a lot of people stop right here in the parable of the sower, but you can't. You got to go on in Mark chapter 4 because it's really significant in the next sentence that Jesus says. It's all in the same conversation, so you have to include it. In the very next sentence, in verse 21, it says, do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand. Light is designed to spread out. Light is designed to illuminate. Light is designed to overtake the darkness. Oh my gosh, you are the light of the world. And I believe wholeheartedly that the more we can take the word of God in, the more we can't contain our light. I'll give you an example. Yesterday, I was preparing for this message. And all of a sudden, I got all worked up. Ask Leah. I got all worked up. Okay? Okay. I'm not Pastor Bomb. I don't. I don't go into the Greek. I don't do this. I don't do that. Right? Are people going to like it? Is this a stupid message? Is this all of all of the things the devil's trying to get to me that says, "Craig, stop studying the word." So I have a moment as I'm reading the very same thing that I'm struggling with, and all of a sudden Jesus says to me, "Stop." Take the rock out of your heart. Spend time with me. So I stopped studying. And I spent some moments with Jesus. And man, all of those thoughts just went away. I can tell you people... That the word of God is active. And it wants to be active in your life. That's why it says that a light, put put it on, you don't bring a lamp and put it under a bowl. It just doesn't work like that. God wants to work within you. Light by nature is meant to spread out. We can't help but shine in the darkness. We need a lot more Christians in our world today that's full of the word. And shining in the world. And then he goes on and says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Or the CCV version, can you hear me now? That's Jesus talking to us. Can you hear me now? And then it goes on, and I'm really running a little bit behind, so I'm going to pick up the pace, even if that's possible. Okay, it goes on, and it says, because I don't think you can stop right there. It goes on, and it says, because it's all in the same conversation, it says, verse 24 and 25, Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Consider what you hear, Jesus says. Anyone remember the verse in Philippians? Philippians 4, 8. I call it the whatever verse. The whatever verse. It says this, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, is anything as excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Can you hear me now? Jesus is saying. He is very clear. There's a lot of stuff out there to take in. But there's only the word of God that grows fruit. Philippians 4.8. Then it goes on and it says in that same section right there, it says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Great little section of scripture. Because to me, it says, if you want to be critical, you will find fault. If you want to have a closed heart, then you're going to be uninterested in the things of God. But those are the bad side. But if you're hungry for God, He will feed you. And He will make you more hungry. So I believe this section of Scripture is talking about the mysteries of the kingdom of God. I believe He's talking about the more that we know about God, the more that we'll want to know more about God. I'm here to tell you there is no idle. There is no neutral in Christianity. You're either moving towards God, you're allowing the word of God to come in you and change you and mold you and shape you, or you're moving away. We all know this, right? Gardening is work. I hate gardening. It's obvious. Just go look at my backyard. But gardening is work you always are continually processing the soil. You're always getting the weeds out, always messing with making sure the plant grows, right? It's always preparation. When you let that go by the side, then things go downhill. Hmm, what do I do? So Jesus finishes this conversation with two parables. I'm going to quickly run through these parables, very quickly, right? I would encourage you to go read them, okay? Because I'm not going to do them justice like God can do them justice in your heart. But I would encourage you to go read them. But I'm going to quickly do it because I think they're important because they're all part of the same conversation, right? It's about the growing seed and the mustard seed. So the first one is in verse 26, and he said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scattered seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. Though he does not know how, all by himself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it, because the harvest has come. You might know this. I'm not going to tell you something you're not going to know, but there's a corresponding verse that I found that just rocked my world. It's not even just the verse itself. Again, if you want to read something extra credit, go turn to the book of Isaiah, pull up chapter 55, and read Isaiah 55. Phenomenal chapter of the Bible. But there's just one little section, two verses, 10 and 11. As the rain and the snow came down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. This is the Lord talking, his word. if, if It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve, achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word is working whether we want it or not to. This is good stuff. This makes me excited. I hope it does you too. Because our job really is to take the word in. Let it cultivate us. But then it's also our job to give seeds to other people. And then let God take it because God's going to use it and grow it into somebody else for his purposes and his glory. It's not my job to grow the seed. It's my job to take the seed in and let God grow it in me. And I'll tell you why, because in the very next purpose, in the very next par- parable of the mustard seed, he says this, verses 30 and thir- through 32, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is small, is the smallest seed you plant in the ground, yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big plants that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. God's making a comparison. Something small, really small, like a mustard seed. This is not a botany lesson. This is a comparison. It's a parable. It's a mystery. It's something that you have to dive into. He's making a comparison that says something really small, like The word of God, one verse, can rock your world. You can then grow fruit, and you can have a benefit to yourself and to everybody else around you. People around you then can come find shade in you. You know, I think this is good stuff. This gets me excited. And this is what church should be, right? A bunch of people just growing in the word of God where they are growing into massive plants where everybody else can come in and find shade. Isn't that the church? It's what I think it is. So I don't think the Bible is just a set of rules. When I first became a Christian, I was a young person. Man, I don't know why, but my brain thought it was just a bunch of rules. It was a, it was like, it was a, it was a kill your fun book. <laughs> but now as I get older and as I grow and the more I take in and the more that the seed grows into my heart, it's more of a this is how you have life book yeah. and life abundantly. So I saw, I'm a very visual learner. I've said that before, and I'm sorry, I'm a little late, but I'm a very visual learner. So I want you to watch this little video. It's a time-lapse video of a bean seed growing. Just spoke volumes to me. Maybe it's just me. Okay, but watch this video. Where did it grow first? Down. You got to grow down to grow up. And then I think the most important thing to oh, all, worship team, you can come on up, okay? The most important thing that it says, you're going to think I'm a little weird, but the most important thing, that I, the most important verse in this whole section of Scripture in Mark 4 next week, man, I really want to encourage you to come because we're going to talk about storms. Because right after this, that night, they get into a boat, right? And the storm comes up. Jesus is sleeping in the boat. One of the greatest sections of Scripture that I love to talk about because it's so cool, right? So I want to encourage you to come next week. But right before that, Jesus makes this comment, which might be the most important comment to me in Mark chapter 4. And he says this in Mark 4.34. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. If I could get you to do one thing today, if you're going to take home one thing today, is we need to spend time alone with Jesus so he can explain to us. That's it. That to me is the parable of the sower, or the soils, or whatever you want to call it. Because I really, but God wants us to cultivate our heart so that the Word of God comes in and grows thirty, hundred, whatever times that it says. Because that's what the Word of God does. That's what it's designed to do. It's supposed to grow in us. I no longer look at scripture like scripture is just an opportunity for me to spend time with Jesus. And I can encourage you that. One thing I really love about this church is that we do communion every Sunday. Communion to me is one of the greatest things, not just because it's me, because that's what scripture says. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Remember, to me, is that God sent Jesus to earth for you and me because he loves us so much that he sent him to the cross to die for us in place of us, to take on our punishment so that we, we could live with him eternally. I think communion is great. Just by doing that, we acknowledge Christ Until he comes again. But it's also so much more to me. Because communion can be the complete reset, if you will. The redo button that says, God, I got stuff in my heart. I got rocks, man, that I need to get out. I got some hard soil that needs a Holy Spirit tiller. Come on, that was good. So communion is also. So as you take communion today, right here, um, Jim and Sandy are going to be up here and they'll serve communion. There's wine and bread up here. If you want to self-serve, there is juice and bread over at each of the crosses. But I say this all the time. If you you take communion because you want to acknowledge Christ, if you're just going through the motions, sit. And as you sing after this, after you do communion, man, well, there'll be plain why you're doing communion, man. Just worship a God who wants to move and live in our life and work and grow. And he gives us his Bible so that happens. He gives us his word that we can allow it to grow in us. Let's pray. God, we just come. I just give you thanks. I think give you thanks that you're a good God. You're a good God, and I know, Lord God, that that you want us to to be in your Word, and that that it, it that it's important. And you say, "Listen, Father, teach me that your Word is a doorway to you, and it's and it's it's just an opportunity for me to spend time." So, God, I give you thanks give you thanks. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.